0: Christians, Jesus' death on the cross, atoned for the sins of humans, and his suffering is directly connected to our salvation. But what if there were a way to extend that belief in salvation beyond humans to all created beings? I'm Patrick Verrill, and today my guest is Elizabeth Johnson, CSJ, a distinguished professor of theology and author of Creation and the Cross, which was published last month by Orbis Press. Now, cosmic redemption is a big part of this book. What is it? And why has it fallen out of favor in recent centuries?
1: Cosmic redemption is the idea that all of creation will be saved. Every last galaxy, every last earthworm, every portion of the great world that God has created has a future with us in glory with God. It dropped out of awareness uh, in the church's consciousness pretty much around the 16th century with the Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin and others, focused their question on salvation of humans. And the question was, how can I find a gracious God? And the answer was, through the death of Jesus on the cross. The issue was therefore very focused on human beings and our sinfulness and our need to be redeemed. And that tremendous focus on human beings blocked out the whole rest of creation. Once the Protestant reformers began asking that question, the Catholic Church began responding. Um, and the debate really, the, Catholic, the Protestants said, we are saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ on the cross, and the grace alone. And Catholics answered back, yes, but we also need to do good works. So that became a, an internal squabble among Christians. And that the fierceness of that blocked out Uh,
0: the rest of creation. Now, why is St. Anselm such an important figure when it comes to this story?
1: Okay, Anselm was a 10th and 11th century uh, theologian, a monk, and ultimately the Archbishop of Canterbury. He uh, wrote a wonderful book in Latin, called Deus Homo, or in English, Why the God-Man? And he asked the question, why did God become human and died to save us when he could have done it some other way? Mm-hmm. Could have shed a tear or done one act of kindness and that would have solved it, you know? And his answer became enormously influential. His answer was, uh, Jesus, uh, God became human and died to save us uh, because Sin offended the honor of God, and humans had to make satisfaction. And since we are just human creatures and finite, we cannot make satisfaction equal to the glory and honor of God we've offended. So an infinite person had to come and do it. Ah. And the only way to make satisfaction was to die, because Jesus was sinless, and sin, uh, death was understood as a punishment for sin. A result of sin so as the sinless one he did not have to die so when he died he paid back more than was owed to the honor of god and since he didn't need any blessing he shares it all with his brothers and sisters okay so the last line of that book anselm writes and so you see god's mercy is greater than we could have imagined now the the problem with that is for anselm's time that was an argument that made sense to people, because he was living in feudalism. Mm-hmm. And the lord of the manor, his word was law. There were no police forces, no armies, etc. So if you offended the lord, you were breaking up civil order as well as uh, his own honor. You had to pay it back in a visible way. And what Anselm did was take that political arrangement and made it the image of God and that made it cosmic. What has developed is out of that theory is a notion of God as a Supreme Lord whose honor is more important to God than God's mercy. And uh, Jesus told parable after parable where God's mercy violates the norms or the expectations, you think of the prodigal son uh, and so on, uh, that you don't have to pay back, you see. God's mercy comes and saves you Regardless, uh, it, you don't need to pay, but, but it became tit for tat, like we had to earn our salvation, we have to pay back, and Jesus was the one who paid it back. So it became, the cross became a, a prerequisite for God to be merciful. And that has done terrible damage to the image of God.
0: Creation in the cross has been constructed in a dialogue form, which is similar to the way that St. Anselm wrote many of his works. Why'd you do that?
1: I did that because Anselm has been so influential, whether you realize it or not, right? I wanted to have like an alternative to Anselm Mm -hmm. in the same vein. And so he chose a monk named Bozo, seriously, B-O-S-O spelled, and who used to ask him a lot of questions about things and set him up as a dialogue partner in this book. I invented an interlocutor to myself whom I named Clara from the Latin word for light, you know. And I said this she is an amalgamation of all the very smart, insightful young men and women whom I have taught over the course of my teaching life. And so it becomes a conversation between a teacher and students in a way that isn't easier to follow rather than, you know, whole paragraphs of argument.
0: And the main argument of the book is that Ross represents more than just salvation from sin. It's, and I quote, an icon of how God is present with all creatures in their suffering and death. Now, is this a new argument?
1: It's a very ancient argument, but it's one that we haven't paid attention to, right? You can find this again in in the Bible, um, in the New Testament understandings of the death and resurrection of Christ, is that in Jesus Christ, God became one with us in the flesh to quote John's Gospel, right? And the flesh was human flesh, but our human flesh, we realize today, is part of the whole flesh of the community of life on Earth. I mean, we we take in food and air, uh, it keeps us alive, we, we have evolved out of the whole uh, community of life on Earth. I'm using the expression community of life, which is a key expression in Pope Francis's encyclical Laudato Si. Mm and to try to make ourselves realize we're not the only ones prancing around on this planet but as humans we are part of a wonderful community of life and that what we say about god we need to bring that community of life mainstream into our dogmatic teaching and our preaching and our liturgies the idea in scripture that when uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us it was God becoming bonded personally with human beings, but also with all flesh on the earth, with matter, you know. His genes, Jesus' genes were of the Hebrew line of the human race, you know. The the cells in his body were made of gases and materials that had exploded in the stars billions of years ago, just like our own. And so so part of, God became bonded to the universe humanly and physically, as a cosmic event. So in his death God is with all creatures who die, not just with humans, but with the pelican chick, you know, and the the deer being chased by the lion and so on. And also then in the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ, it's the beginning of the future of all flesh. If the resurrection means anything, it's that there's a future for creation that everything doesn't end up in annihilation. But the love of God that created it all is powerful enough to redeem it all. At the end of Laudato Si, Pope Francis writes that at the end of history, we will all be together enjoying the beauty of God. That's his view of heaven. And all creatures resplendently transfigured, and I'm quoting here, will share with us in that joy.
0: So if people took this notion to heart, How do you think that would change their outlook on life?
1: I think it would do two things. It would expand our consciousness as human beings um, on this planet, that we are not the king of the hill, so to speak, that we have neighbors and relatives of different species than ourselves. It put us in a context. When God spoke to Job in the book of Job, God. The first question God says to him is, "And where were you when I created the world?" You know, as if you think you can rule everything. You know, put put us back in a humble position. And but the second thing that flows from that is a tremendously powerful impetus for ethics, for ecological care of the earth, for responsibility, for the lives of all these others in the air, in the sea, on the land, that we are basically wiping out making species go extinct as Pope Francis says in Laudato Si that should be for us a cause of personal suffering to see all this death and many people in the church are still merrily going on their way as if this is not a religious matter
0: this notion that Christians have a duty to protect the environment it, it's gotten a lot of attention uh, obviously you delved into it in great detail in your you got a 2014 book called Ask the Beasts Darwin and the God of Love. And as you mentioned, Pope Francis had his encyclical Laudato Si'. What's the common thread between all of these?
1: We live on a marvelous blue planet, and we're destroying it. So wake up.